I want to read you guys some statistics. Just what you needed, more information. Hollywood currently produces 11,000 adult movies per year. More than 20 times the mainstream movie production. 55% of movies that are rented in hotels are porn movies. 38% of adults believe it is morally acceptable to look at pictures of nudity or explicit sexual behavior. 59% of adults believe it is morally acceptable to have sexual thoughts and fantasies. 38% of adults believe there's nothing wrong with pornography use. 42% of surveyed adults indicated that their partner's use of pornography made them feel insecure. 41% of surveyed adults admitted they felt less attractive due to their partner's pornography use. 70% of Christians admitted to struggling with porn in their daily lives, reported on CNN. 50% of all Christian men and 20% of all Christian women are addicted to pornography. 60% of the women who answered the survey admitted to having significant struggles with lust. 40% admitted to being involved in sexual sin in the past year. 20% of the church-going female participants struggle with looking at pornography on an ongoing basis. In uh, uh, 2000, uh, this is year 2000, so 10 years ago, I'm sure it hasn't gotten better. Christianity Today survey, 33% of clergy admitted to having visited a sexually explicit website. Ministry leaders. Of those who'd visited a porn site, 53% had visited such sites a few times in the past year, and 18% visit sexually explicit sites between a couple times a month and more than once a week. Out of 81 pastors surveyed, this was a uh, national coalition survey of pastors done in April of 2000, 98% had been exposed to porn, 43% intentionally accessed a sexually explicit website. In March of 2002, Rick Warren, he's the author of the well-known Purpose Driven Life, on his website conducted a survey on porn use of 1,351 pastors 54% of the pastors had viewed internet pornography within the last year, and 30% of these had visited within the last 30 days. At $13.3 billion, the 2006 revenues of the sex and porn industry in the U.S. are bigger than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Worldwide sex industry sales for 2006 are reported to be $97 billion. To put this in perspective, Microsoft, who sells the operating system used on most of the computers in the world, in addition to other software, reported sales of $44.8 billion. So, double Microsoft sales. How does that sound? You know, the scriptures say that we'll defeat Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our testimony sucks. And something needs to change. 50% of pastors? I'm going to tell you something. We serve a holy God. We were just singing about His holiness and His purity. 
And it's not a joke to him that 50% of those that call themselves leaders in the body of Christ and stand before congregations and are allegedly the ones responsible for the spiritual condition of their churches, 50% of them are dabbling in internet pornography. I would say sexual purity is one of the most significant strongholds in God's church. Wouldn't you agree? What's wrong with this picture? We have the same divorce rates as the world. We have the same pornography consumption as the world. Pastors looking at porn. Does it shock us that the world would look at the Christian church and laugh? Why would they need a Jesus that looks exactly like they do? I want to tell you something. Something's got to change and the problem is not God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been holy. The issue is that we as a church have compromised with this area of sin and we have allowed the release of demonic power and darkness into the church, but into our families, into our own children. If this is not a huge issue, why is Satan working so hard to put porn everywhere? to put sexually explicit materials everywhere you look, on every single television station, on every single billboard, on every single advertisement. He is trying to put sexual temptation in front of us because he knows what's at stake. This holy God is looking for a spotless bride. And we've defiled her. This sexual purity issue is not just something that would be nice for us to get right. This sexual purity issue is a salvation issue. This is a salvation issue. If you don't get the sexual purity thing right, it's a salvation issue. You might be struggling with that right now, but I'm going to tell you the Word of God's about to come and confront you right now. The last couple songs we were singing are about the love of God. And I want to tell you something. God loves us very much. He loves us as men. He loves us so much that He wants us to be righteous sons. He's jealous for us to come into righteousness. This is not a joke to Him. It's not a game to Him. He takes this very seriously. We are married to His daughters. He loves us enough, and we've been, two weeks ago we heard a word out of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, and it says this, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes each one He accepts as His child. I want to tell you something, brothers. The discipline of the Lord is the love of God. He disciplines us because He loves us. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. And that is where this word is coming from. God loves us. I, I believe those, the word we got two weeks ago, and it was reemphasized last week, is connected with the Father love of God for us. He loves us enough to come and say, this is not acceptable anymore. You need to turn from this because it's a salvation issue. And it's not just about our salvation. It's about the salvation of our families and it's about the salvation of those that we've been called to preach the gospel to. Because when we're trapped in sexual sin, we're not out there witnessing to people. You know why you don't want to go witnessing to people? It's because you're in bondage. You don't have a testimony. You're not full of the joy of the Lord. You don't have the peace of Christ. You don't have anything to say to anybody. Let's be real.
about why you're not out witnessing. This is not to bring condemnation on you because you missed one night or another night. I'm saying, I'm not calling people's names out, but the Spirit of the Lord is going to be speaking to each of you tonight because He's been speaking to me about this because He loves you. Because He loves you. Because He loves you. Matthew 5.8 This is what the Word of the Lord says. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. I want to tell you what it means to have a pure heart. A pure heart is free from pornography. A pure heart is free from lust. A pure heart is free from sexual sin. A pure heart is free from fantasies. That's a pure heart. Let me read you the opposite of this. Sometimes we read the scripture, but we don't read the opposite, which has got some important information for us. God doesn't bless those whose hearts are not pure, for they will not see God. Think about it. 1 Corinthians 6. Let's see if the rest of the counsel of God gets, gives us any more illumination on this. Starting in verse 9, this is the word of the living God. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. What is that saying? That's not saying that we have hypothetical holiness through Christ. It's saying that we're covered by the blood of Christ, but that we have to work out that salvation, as the Scriptures tell us, with fear and trembling, meaning we need to repent to appropriate the blood of Christ. It does us no good if He reveals Himself to us and we continue to go on living in deliberate sin. That will not save us. What the Scripture calls us to do is appropriate that position in Christ through repentance, which means turning away from that sin, not continuing on in it. It says, those who indulge in sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. Go a little bit further down in Corinthians. We're not going to just use one Scripture. We're going to look at a bunch of them. 1 Corinthians 6, go down to verse 15. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? We don't realize this, but I want to tell you something. Every single one of us is like a cell in the body of Christ. We are literally knit together. Every one of us, if, if you're in this room, you're within the sound of my voice, and you've surrendered your life to Christ and received the Holy Spirit, we are brothers. We're knit together. We're in the same family. There is a spiritual bond a godly bond that connects us in fellowship. What you do affects me. What I do affects you. It's the opposite of the way we look at relationships in our culture because we like to think that we can be fiercely independent and the things that we do don't impact anybody else. People say this, what harm does homosexuality have on our culture? What, how does it harm you? It does harm us. It releases demonic power into our culture. It releases demonic power into our families. Pornography hurts me. When you get on internet porn, it hurts me. It affects me. It affects the holiness of the body of Christ. 
We have to stop looking at ourselves as these islands that the consequences of our sin don't impact each other. We are parts of the body of Christ. How could a hand get cancer and the foot doesn't suffer? If the cancer kills the person, how can you say the foot won't be affected? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. The things we do affect one another. We are knit together. We're part of the same body. Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the Scriptures say the two are united into one. We're not going to go into a whole in-depth teaching on, on soul ties or how we become spiritually bonded together with people that we engage in sexual contact with, but it's true. God designed covenant marriage to be a joining together of two people. And He doesn't suspend the laws and the spiritual principles of the universe so that you can get it on with your neighbor lady or so that you can get on internet porn. The spiritual principles still apply. It's like you saying, well, I don't want to believe in gravity today, so I'm going to jump off a cliff. My friend, you're going to have an encounter with gravity. You're going to have a very hard and intense fellowship with the ground. And it's the same when you break God's laws. It doesn't matter if you believe in them or not. You're going to have an intense, hard encounter with the reality of the law. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. When we become born-again Christians, literally we become one with God. It's the beginning of, of, of the fullness of which we won't see until we enter the kingdom of God. But our spirits and His spirit have fellowship. Okay, we're going to keep going in, into verse 18. It says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Amen. The reason that these early apostolic leaders of the church said, run from sexual sin. Sexual sin is the worst. The reason why Satan has permeated our culture with sexual sin is because he knows that if you're in bondage to sexual sin, you will never enter into the kingdom of God. And you'll never enter into the fullness of God's heart for you. You will always be chained down to the realm of darkness and you'll never be able to accomplish the reason for which God made you. This sexual sin issue is a salvation issue. It's a foundational issue. It has to be dealt with. It's time that we, as men of God, stop playing around with internet porn and stop playing around with how long we can look at this woman or that woman or fantasies in our minds. We've got to get real about what the consequences of this are. Amen. We're going to be getting into the Scriptures. I'm telling you the truth. When you open these doors, you are opening doors to the demonic. You are literally releasing demonic power into your families. If you're married, you're releasing it into your, your marriage relationship. If you have children, you're releasing demonic power into your children's lives. And if you're in relationship with people, if you're discipling other people, if you're a spiritual leader, you're releasing it into your fellowship. 
Now, I'm not saying because a pastor falls, that necessarily means the whole church is going to fall into sexual sin. I'm just saying there's a consequence. You're impacted by it. If I'm doing internet porn and then I stand up in front of you and I start preaching about sexual purity, first of all, I hope God will strike me down. But He's coming to contend against sexual sin in His bride because He loves us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3-9. through Here we go. This is the word of the Lord. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. My brothers, are you seeing that this is a salvation issue? Are you seeing it yet? Are you seeing that they will... Those that are involved in these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know how the Bible could get any clearer on this. It says, listen to this, because this is where the little voices start coming and telling us, oh, it's going to be okay. Don't be fooled by those that try to excuse these sins. Don't be fooled. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. He is holy. He's pure. He's righteous. We have no idea who we're dealing with. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Does God love us? Absolutely He loves us. But my brothers, we need the fear of the Lord in this area. The fear of the Lord. You know, I hear all about these accountability partners and I'm not, I'm not dissing on human accountability. I'm not dissing on that. I'm not saying we shouldn't be in relationship with other believers and have, be in relationship and confess our sexual sin. What I'm saying is, we don't need more accountability partners. What we need is a fear of the Lord. A fear for our very souls. When you know that your soul is on the line, it's a little bit different. And I'm telling you, your soul is on the line. And it's not just your soul, but it's the souls of many, many others. And that's why I believe the Lord is being so stern about this. So the gravity of this needs to hit us because there's way more at stake than just us. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. God's Spirit gives us the grace to walk in this. I'm telling you, brothers, and we're going to get into very practical ways that we can cry out to God for sexual purity. Go to Acts chapter 15. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of context for this Scripture. What had happened is, Paul was preaching the Word in a city, and some, some religious Jews came into the city. They were believers, but what they were, what the, what they were telling, they were getting in arguments with Paul that, that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. Okay? So there was an argument between the religious Jews that had come out of Judaism and the law, saying you've got to be circumcised, that's the covenant uh, that God wants, is that external circumcision. Of course, Paul argued violently in the other direction, said God's not interested in an outward circumcision. He's interested in a circumcision of the heart, that you're actually cutting away your old sinful nature and moving into a life in the spirit where God will make you holy by his spirit. None of us can be holy on our own. 
Holiness comes from the Father. So they sent a letter to the believers. They went to Jerusalem and they laid out their case before the apostles that had been with Jesus in His ministry on the earth. And this is the letter that they sent back to these believers. It starts in Acts 15, verse 20. Instead, we should write, this is their conclusion, this is what's in the letter. We should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols. Don't know that that goes on very much anymore, although maybe some of it does. From sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Of course, consuming blood, God says the life is in the blood. There's, the occult drinks blood and does all kinds of things and it brings demonization. But the one I, want, I think should stand out to us is they said, you know what, the, the main thing for you to focus on is abstain from sexual immorality. That was the main thing to the Gentile believers. Whatever you do, just abstain from sexual immorality, okay? You don't need to get your foreskin cut off. But abstain from sexual immorality. That was also repeated in Acts 15.29 and Acts 21.25. We're not going to go there, but basically it says the same thing. Three times in the book of Acts, they remind the Gentile believers, abstain from sexual immorality. Is this a major issue? Yes, it's a major issue. Okay, so here's the question. And I believe the Lord has some of the answers for us tonight. Not all the answers, but some of the answers. Why don't we stop engaging in sexual sin? There's six or seven reasons that I believe the Lord has given me that I want to share with you guys. And this is the first one. Go to Hosea 4.6. The first reason we don't stop engaging in sexual sin is that we don't understand that it's wrong. We don't understand that it's wrong. We don't understand that it's sin. We don't understand what God's heart is about this issue. And that's part of what's already happening tonight is the Lord is coming and He's revealing what His heart is to you and then He expects you to walk in the light. That's the gospel of the new covenant. You're expected to walk in the light that you're given. Now you have light. Now you need to walk in it. Hosea 4.6 says this, My people are being destroyed because they don't know Me. I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version also. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I would suggest to you, brothers, that the body of Christ in America is being destroyed because we don't have knowledge about this area. We don't understand how severe and significant the consequences of being friends with sexual sin are. Here's the deal. I don't want you to perish for lack of knowledge about what sexual immorality is. Okay, it's very clear from the Bible that sexual immorality is not something that God wants us walking in. So let me run through it. And you know what? Some of this stuff is going to be very graphic. I'm not going to make any assumptions about where you're at. I'm just going to say it to you like I got it from the Lord. Sexual acts with animals is sin. It's forbidden in the Levitical law. It's also reiterated in the form of perversity in Jude 1.7. And that's in thought life or in action. And let me say this before we, we continue on with this. This has nothing to do with sin that you have confessed and repented is under the blood of Christ. Brothers, don't let the devil come and condemn you for one thing that gets said tonight, okay? What I'm talking about is brothers who are walking in sexual sin now. You're the ones that need to respond to the Spirit of God as He brings this to you. 
This has nothing to do with people who have repented, who have come under the blood of Christ. Okay? The second area, sexual acts with children in thought, life, or action is sin. Matthew 18.6, listen to what it says. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. There's spiritual consequences for that. But I'm going to tell you something. The enemy's goal here is to draw you into deeper and deeper perversion. It starts out with things that are light, but he'll draw you into deeper and deeper perversion until you won't even know what you're doing. And all of a sudden, he'll spring the trap on you and heap such shame and condemnation on you, you will want to die. That's where suicide comes from. A lot of it comes from entering into perversion. And then all of a sudden he switches the game on you and starts bringing shame and condemnation until you take yourself out. Make no mistake about it, his goal is to kill you, to destroy you, to steal everything that God has for you. He hates you. He's not playing games. So he's more than happy when we do. The third area, under the umbrella of sexual immorality, is homosexuality in thought life or in action. It is sin. It's outlined in Levitical law. It says it's an abomination to God. God didn't change just because Jesus came. He loves people who are trapped in the bondage of homosexuality. But His full intention is to bring them out of bondage into freedom in Christ, which is possible for anyone who fully surrenders to God. I know because I was in bondage to sexual sin. It's about a choice. Okay, I didn't know what I was doing when I got into sexual sin, but after I gave my life to Christ, He proceeded to bring me into holiness and righteousness and started changing me. I'm telling you, if I can walk in sexual purity, anybody can walk in sexual purity. There's nobody on the face of the earth that cannot walk in sexual purity in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ. Nobody. It's also spoken about again in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. We already talked about that scripture. People who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. That's it. The word of God is not changing to be politically correct. It doesn't mean we come with a spirit that's not in love. We need to come in love with the truth. But I'm not going to back down or start hemming and hawing when I'm in a conversation with a homosexual that's asking me if homosexuality is wrong. You know what I say to him? Yeah, it's wrong just like sex outside of marriage was wrong. Just like I was in fornication. I was in fornication until I repented. I was trapped deeply in sexual bondage until I surrendered my life to God. Then He changed me. He'll change you too. Fourth area, sex outside of marriage, the covenant of marriage is wrong. It's sin. In your thought life or in actuality. And that brings us to the next one. Lust in your heart for someone is sin. Listen to what Jesus said. Go to Matthew chapter 5. You know, when you start looking for the truth, it just it shows up all over the Word. I wasn't even going to bring this message tonight, and God just like broke in on me. I mean, literally, this came together in two hours. I mean, this is just right out of the heart of God. Matthew chapter 5. When you start looking at, at the Word, it's like, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know, God, that this was such a huge issue to you. Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, starting in verse 27. This is the Word of God. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
Then listen to what he goes on to say. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Are you kidding me? Did Jesus that loves us just get done telling us that? Listen to the next sentence and you tell me if sexual immorality is not a salvation issue. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. The last area, at least that I feel like God's wanting me to bring forward to you guys, that falls under the umbrella of sexual immorality is this. Masturbation. Masturbation is an outflow of lust. You cannot masturbate without having lust in your heart towards a woman. The two go together. It's an outflow of lust. doesn't matter if you think you're masturbating about your, your future wife. Until she is your wife, it's, it's sin. Okay? And even if it is your wife, it's sin. To self-gratify instead of receive the gratification of covenant marriage through your wife. I'll let the Holy Spirit... I don't have Scripture to back that, that last one up, but I'm just going to tell you that I've got conviction from the Holy Spirit. I mean, six months before I even met my wife, God started dealing with me about masturbation. He said, you need to clean this up. And there's many of you in this room are wondering where God's wife is for you. I want to I ask you the second question. How's your sexual purity? If you don't think there's a connection, don't kid yourself. Your sexual purity issue is not going to go away when you get married. And we're talking about God's daughters. So if you don't think He's going to deal with you about sexual purity before you get into covenant, marriage, don't fool yourself. The second reason that we don't stop engaging in sexual sin. So the first part was, just to recap, I want you guys to hear this again. The first reason that we don't stop engaging in sexual sin is that we don't know that it's wrong. Now you know it's wrong. Now you know, you have the Word of God, the the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now it's up to you, you're responsible for what you know. Okay? Second thing is, we don't understand the consequences of sexual sin. That's the second reason. We don't understand fully the consequences of sexual sin. I'm going to share some of these with you. God was very intentional when He set up marriage as a covenant. Marriage as a covenant relationship is a reflection of the kind of relationship that He wants with us. In fact, there's all kinds of language in the Bible that talk about Jesus is our bridegroom. We're the bride and He's our bridegroom. How many know that there's going to be a wedding in heaven? When you surrender your life to Jesus, you know what you're really doing? You're putting on an engagement ring. You're saying, I promise myself to you. You're not married yet. The wedding's in heaven. We'll find out how it goes when you get there. When he says, everybody with white robes on who's dressed for the wedding, come on up and let's get married. How many have heard the parable of the ten bridesmaids? The ten that get into the wedding, the ten that don't. They're bridesmaids, people that know God, people that got engaged, that aren't going to make it to the wedding. The reason he gave us that picture is because he's trying to get us to understand spiritual principles that underlie that. That marriage paradigm, that the idea of us marrying Jesus, of literally becoming one with God, how do you think we get into eternal life? We become one with an eternal being. Husband and wife come together, they become one. We're going to become one with God. Just like Jesus experienced that kind of radical, it's called perichoresis, mutual indwelling, where He's in us and we're in Him. You can't tell where one ends off and one leaves. We're part of God. 
Hallelujah! That's where our eternity comes from, from that marriage of the Lamb. But I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing that destroys marriage intimacy like sexual sin. There is nothing that destroys marital intimacy like sexual sin. And I want to tell you from my own life, it's true. God taught me, I mean, He taught me so many things about this area. Literally, it got to the point where, and only the Spirit of God can do this, where I'm walking and and I'll look at a woman too long, and then I would go home and my my wife would be pissed off at me. I'd be like, where did this come from? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God would remind me about looking at that woman. And he showed me there's a direct connection between your loyalty, faithfulness, and sexual purity and your intimacy with your wife. And when I wasn't in purity, I would lose intimacy with my wife. It was literally like a canary in a coal mine. It was like I would come home and I would know when intimacy was broken with my wife based on my purity. And I want to tell you something. That is a picture of our intimacy with God. When you're in sexual sin, you are breaking fellowship with God. You're saying, I would rather adore that pornography rather than adore you. There's many references in Scripture to adultery being connected with idolatry. The worship of women, the worship of physical bodies, the worship of sex without worshiping the Creator or trying to worship both. The Scriptures say you can't drink of the cup of God and the cup of demons. It'll kill you. I want to tell you that there are serious consequences of walking in sexual sin to your marriages. Some of you don't understand why you have no intimacy with God. And I want to, I want to ask you this question. How is your sexual purity? You don't understand why you don't hear God, but you're... you're Surfing internet porn. Wake up. There's a direct connection between your sexual sin and your intimacy with God. I'm not saying there's not grace for a season as God brings you out of this. How many experienced radical holiness the the minute you gave your life to Jesus? For a lot of us, it takes a long time. There's an outworking of it. There's an instantaneous, we know something happened because there's a, there's a sanctification that takes place immediately when we surrender our lives to Jesus. I mean, we don't desire the same things. We desire things of God. But over time, based on our choices, we either continue to get more holy or we continue to fall into the world and come up with other versions of the gospel to make us feel like we're in a right place. I'm telling you, you're either getting closer to God or you're drifting away. There's only two directions to go with Him. Your sexual sin releases affliction and demonization of your wife and children. I've got two scriptures here. I'm not sure whether Ephesians 5.23 For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wife should submit to your husbands in everything. God views husbands as a spiritual covering for their wives, much like Jesus is a spiritual covering for the church. Jesus' holiness is released into the body of Christ. We get nothing but holiness because of Jesus, because Jesus is perfect. He walks in perfect holiness. So to the extent we're submitted to Him, holiness is released into our lives. It's why the Scriptures say, between husbands and wives, 
when one spouse is not a believer, the Word of God says, stay in the relationship because your relationship to that non-believer will release holiness into their life. See, this principle is vetted out in that Scripture. But it's particularly true with husbands and spiritual coverings. We're not going to go there, but in Exodus 34.7, it shows the principle of generational curses and blessings. That the decisions we make, whether we walk in sexual purity or sexual sin, releases either generational blessing or generational curses into our children. Masturbation is not harmless. You're literally opening up doors in the Spirit for curses and demonic power to be released into your own children. I'll tell you a couple stories about this. One is a vision that I got of my wife. In this vision, I was, I was standing at the back of a church and I looked at my wife and she was covered with this just brilliant gown of white. It was just radiating. I couldn't even look directly at my wife's wedding dress. And I looked up to the front of the church and I saw Jesus at the front of the church. And then I walked my wife down the aisle and gave her over to Jesus. It kind of felt a little bit weird because, you know, I'm married to her. And yet I was giving her to Jesus to get married. And then I worked my way through that. And I realized, hey, it's going to be okay. It's Jesus. You know what I mean? Anyway. So I hand my wife over. And my sense was what he was giving me a prophetic picture of was the responsibility of a husband for the purity of a wife. When I looked at her, she was spotless. She was pure. She was radiating holiness and purity. That's what the Lord began to speak to me. But I was in New York on an evangelism trip after I had had this vision. And I was up in this, uh, up in this swanky kind of downtown, it was a Manhattan kind of condo, and there were all these people, just beautiful people, kind of my old lifestyle, basically, dressed in suits. They were, it was Manhattan, they were partying, and there's beautiful men and beautiful women, and I'm kind of looking at the whole scene, and I get drawn in to the whole scene, going, wow, I remember that scene. I mean, my flesh and my soul, there was like a memory there that was drawn to it. And as I was going to bed that night, I was falling asleep. And all of a sudden, I saw saw that vision again of my wife in this glowing dress. And all of a sudden, this blood got splatted all over her. I'm like, what was that? And then the Lord showed me checking out a woman at that high rise. He said, that's what happens to your wife when you open your eye gates to lust. I was like, wow. Wow. The other thing that happens when we open the door to sexual sin is there's affliction and demonization of the body of Christ. I'm just going to refer you guys back to that 1 Corinthians scripture. We are all part of the body. The hand doesn't get cancer and say, foot, you're, you're fine, don't mind me. I'm just going to surf internet porn over here. When you open the door to sexual sin, it impacts the rest of the body of Christ. It releases demonization. It releases affliction into the body of Christ. 50% of pastors are in internet porn. Do you wonder why the church is not walking in apostolic power? We're in bondage. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing any damage to the kingdom of darkness. With half of the pastors bound up in sexual sin. It's a significant issue. The other consequence of our sexual sin is this. 
We become slaves to our sin. We become slaves to our sin. Listen to what it says in Romans 6.16. This is the word of the Lord. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. We are going to be a slave to something, either our sin or the Lord, and we need to settle the issue. Who's going to be Lord of your life? Is it going to be your porn, or is it going to be Jesus? This is the third reason that we engage in sexual sin. We don't want to stop. We love our sin, which often causes us to rationalize our sin. We don't want to stop sinning, so we don't. Go to John chapter 3. Starting in verse 17, this is what the Word says. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Do you see what God's heart posture is? He's not coming to judge us. That's not what He's trying to do. He's coming to save us. In fact, the word that you're hearing tonight is part of saving you. It's part of making sure that you don't walk in sexual sin so that you can be saved. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in Him, but anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who want to do what's right come to the light so others can see that they're doing what God wants. There it is. If you don't want to stop your sin, God's not going to stop you. And it's the thing that causes you to not want it to be exposed. Number four, the fourth reason why we enter into sexual sin is that we're wounded. We're wounded. Many times sexual immorality has roots in our past. Many times sexual immorality has roots in the generations. In the same way that you can release generational curses based on your choices, your parents and your grandparents, and it goes back probably quite a ways, if they open doors of sexual perversion, it releases curses and it releases demonic power into your life. It's why oftentimes you will see people getting into sexual perversion very young as little kids. God didn't make perverts. God didn't make little homosexuals. They are the fruit of generational iniquity that is now manifesting in the generations. So some of your sexual issues could have roots in the generations. The good news is there's a way to deal with those. The second way that that can happen is through sexual trauma. A lot of times there's abuse or there's pornography exposure when you're a little kid. You don't know it, I'm going to tell you. The devil is hot after getting porn in front of little kids and getting them damaged and wounded by people who are walking in perversion. He's constantly trying to destroy. The battle's not just going on over your life. It's been going on in the generations. And he wants to get them really young. Because if he can get you messed up really young, it's just going to continue to multiply and get more perverted and more twisted until you don't even know who God is. You're wondering how you got that way. How many homosexuals have you said, I didn't choose to be this way? Some of them are right. 
They didn't choose to be that way in the sense that they had a tremendous amount of demonic power released into their lives and curses released in their life that inhibited and restricted their true ability to choose God or to choose a path of holiness. I mean, it's, they're right and they're not right. They inherited some things, many of them. Many of them were abused as children. Many of them had very harsh fathers. Again, I'm not trying to get into pop psychology here. I'm telling you there's real consequences when we do not have represented to us the father love of God. When we don't have the father love of God accurately represented to us, we start going to other places to find it. Many of us have orphan spirits, and so we're trying to find the father love of God through a relationship with a woman who can't even give it to us. You can go after woman after woman after woman after woman. You will never get the father love of God for you. And I'm telling you, as a man, you have got to have it. If you don't have it, it will cause you to make all kinds of bad decisions based on trying to fill a need you cannot get in all the places you're looking. You can look to drugs. You can look to status. You can look to power. You can look to material things. You can look to relationships with women. That's where I was looking. I was looking in relationships with women. I'd be in serial relationships. Continuing to try and fill the void. And it was never filled until I had a revelation of the Father heart of God. Many of us are in sexual sin because we're still orphans. We don't have a revelation of God's love for us. And if that's you, don't leave here without having somebody pray with you. We need to ask God for healing and deliverance in these areas though, brothers. We can't pretend like they didn't happen. One of the devil's favorite strategies to keep us in bondage to these things is to bring shame and condemnation. So you don't want to talk about how you and your cousin you know, were playing with each other sexually. I'm going to tell you something. If that doesn't come into the light, you can't be healed. And the devil knows it. And so he'll throw shame and condemnation on you. He'll say, nobody else has that problem. I'm telling you, everybody in here has problems. Everybody in here has issues, sexual issues that have roots in the generations, that have roots in, in our early childhood, that have roots in our own choices. Some of us have opened the doors. Many of us have. We didn't even need generational stuff. Sometimes you're not dealing with a generational thing. It's just based on your choices. You open the door, and so now you've got a demonic stronghold in your life, and it needs to get dealt with. But I'm telling you, a lot of it's about woundedness. We need to go to the Father and ask for healing. The fifth reason that we enter into sexual sin is this. We lack self-control. We lack self-control. As important as the last one was so that you understand that, you know what, you showed up and you had some baggage with you when you came, is this one, which is basically saying, buck up, man up, guess what, take responsibility for your own sin. You need to hear both of them. Yes, there are issues in the generations. Yes, none of us grew up experiencing the fullness of the Father heart of God. But grow up! It's time to grow up as men. It's time that we stop being a bunch of little boys going to men's meetings. And we get real about how serious God is about us saying, cry out to me for help, I'll help you. Some of us camp out in our woundedness. Some of us, our identity is so much in our woundedness, we don't want to let it go. We're, we're, our woundedness is like one of our best friends. We want it to be our dad's fault or our mommy's fault or our uncle's fault or the guy who molested us when we were little. You know what? They had their part to play, but guess what? Now it's time for you to take responsibility for the outworking of that sin and you have choices to make. You either keep being a victim or you decide you're going to turn to God and ask for help and He's going to heal you. 
Go to 1 Corinthians 10. Starting in verse 13, this is what the Word of the Lord says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. How many times do we hear the lie that we're the only ones going through what we're going through? It's a lie from the pit of hell. Every one of us is going through this. Either we've gone through it or we're going through it or we will go through it. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He'll show you a way out so that you can endure. There it is, brothers. If you go to God and you cry out to help, He will help you. Most of us only want to cry out to God after we've done our sexual sin and ask Him for forgiveness afterwards. We don't want to cry out to Him before it happens. We don't want to reach out to a brother before it happens. We call all our accountability partners after we sin. Instead of before we sin to get reinforcement, encouragement, and get the word of the Lord prayed over us. I'm not saying that this is not going to be a battle for some of you. It'll probably be a battle for many of you. What I'm telling you is, by the grace of God, that that men can get some level of victory over this. that, That we can walk in victory. That we can, but I'm going to tell you something. If you don't decide you're going to declare war on this sin, you are going to fall victim to it. You cannot look at it as your friend that you just want to leave and not talk about. It can't be your friend anymore. Your sexual sin, your masturbation can't be your buddy. It can't be the place you go for comfort. You've got to decide that you're going to go to the Lord. You have to literally declare war on it, and that's the heart posture you need to have. Or guess what? You're going to get it handed to you. Which is where half of the church is right now. Walking with no power, instead of really crying out to God, they're coming up with new theologies that tell them it's okay for them to be where they are. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 verse 19 to 21. Listen to what it says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful desire, lustful pleasures, and it goes on and on. Let me tell you as I have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There it is again in Galatians. Okay, it didn't go away. It's a salvation issue. Now, if you go a little bit further in Galatians to verse 22, this is what it says. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Here it is, self-control. Self-control comes from God. It does not come from you. It's not about human willpower. If you're about self-help, you are going to get your butt handed to you. You, The devil will kick the crap out of you if you think you're going to avoid sexual sin by your own human effort. This is about crying out to God for for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Crying out to God when you're in the middle of your sin, saying, God, keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. He will come and save you. He will. But if you don't cry out to Him... You will fall. I want to say this to you too. The closer that you get to God, the easier it is to resist sexual temptation. The closer you get to God, the easier it is to resist sexual temptation because as you get closer to God, His holiness permeates your life. It's real. It's not imagined. I'm not saying that you'll never have a sexual temptation again. That's not what I said. It's going to be easier for you to resist temptation the more intimate you get with God. And this is dangerous for ministry leaders because if you stop spending time with God, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with God, we need God's presence. We need God's Spirit. We need intimate time of fellowship with God if we're going to walk in holiness. There's no way you can walk in holiness in this fallen world unless you are spending regular time in the presence of the Holy God. 
Every minute that you spend in His presence changes your DNA at a molecular level. You don't get holy by trying harder. You get holy by being in the presence of God. And the more you're in His presence, the more He'll transform you and the easier it'll get to resist sin. It'll become more obvious to you. I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I remember times when I'd get in this battle, I'm like, God, why is this so hard? He was taking me through this process that He's about to take some of you through that have never been through it before. This is a hard process. And I said, God, why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? I got people walking in front of me constantly. They're flashing flesh and doing all this. He said, I want to make sure you really want to be with me. God wants to know, is He worth fighting for? Is it worth being forever in the presence of the one true God for you to resist your sexual sin? Is that worth it? Is your eternal life worth it? That's what's at stake. I think it's absolutely worth it. It is so worth it. And you know what? He's even, he helps me with encouragement by doing this. He's shown me it's worth it because my marriage is like off the charts. My intimacy with my wife is off the charts. We have one of the most amazing... I, I, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm bragging on the Lord. I'm telling you, God has done this and it's directly connected to sexual purity. It is directly connected to sexual purity. I've seen God give me a, a holy and pure wife. You know what she prays over me every day before I go out? Not every day. It's not religion. But she'll put her hand on my heart and she'll go, Father, would you give my husband holiness and purity? And you know what I feel come down on me? Holiness and purity. And every time I feel something coming in the Spirit, you know, it's gotten to the point where God will give me an early warning. He'll say, something's coming over here. So I'll know not even to look over there. Now i got a choice to make at that point. I can open my eye gates and release whatever the devil wanted to release into my life. Or I can say, you know what? I'm going to choose to not look at it. The Holy Spirit will be the best early warning system you ever had. He will tell you when somebody's coming with their cleavage hanging out. He'll tell you. And the good news is He's given us weapons for warfare and we're going to get into those next. This is number six. Why do we sin sexually? Why is half the church in sexual bondage? Reason number six is we don't know how to resist sexual temptation. We don't know how to resist sexual temptation. And I'm going to talk about that. This is the most important part of the evening. If you don't get anything else, get this. This is the practical. How do we walk this thing out? One is, the battle begins with the eyes. The battle begins with your eyes. Men are stimulated sexually through our eyes. It's the way we're made. We were made to enjoy our covenant wife's body through our eye gates. Okay, but God doesn't shut it off, shut off the program that's supposed to give us radical, erotic, incredible pleasure with our covenant wife. He doesn't shut that off so that we can start picking out the eye candy at the mall. These eyes are gateways into your spirit. They are gateways into your mind that are very critical. Go to Luke chapter 11, verse 34. Verse 34, this is what it says. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. There it is. If you allow light to come into your eye gates, then your heart and your spirit will be flooded with holiness and purity. 
If you focus on God and His kingdom, and that's why the Scriptures tell us to keep our eyes on Jesus, it's not just a cute saying, it's because Jesus is the picture of holiness and purity, and He releases light into our spirit. God's Word is light. This light shines into our spirit. If we feed ourselves with the Word of God, then our body will be flooded with light. If we feed our spirit with pornography, what's it going to be flooded with? Darkness. If we fill it with television, what's it going to be flooded with? Darkness. We're not going to go to 1 John. I want to just say this. He's talking about for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the eyes. Your eyes are directly connected to the sin of lust. Go to Job 31.1. First of all, just a little bit on Job. Job was a man that God set apart from the whole world and said, this is a guy who gets it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. This is a Steve Ugin remix of the book of Job. The beginning of the book of Job is this. My servant Job really gets it. He understands who I am. He's a man after my own heart. This is what Job said in chapter 31, verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. A covenant with my eyes. There's literally a covenant that we can enter into with our eyes and the Lord. And I'm telling you, I've literally entered into a covenant with God. I said, God, I want to enter into a covenant with my eyes that the only thing that comes in them are things that glorify you. The only thing that comes in them are things that my wife wouldn't be ashamed of or embarrassed about. And at different times, I've renewed the covenant. If I feel like I'm kind of getting sloppy with it, and I'm telling you, the minute I entered into covenant with my eyes in the Lord, not to lust after women, the Holy Spirit started helping me, started protecting me from looking at things. This battle starts with the eyes, brothers. And you say, well, what does that mean? You mean I can't look at any woman ever again? No, that's not what I'm saying. As you progress in holiness... You will be able to look at women and you won't fall into lust because the holiness of the Lord will have changed you. But if you're not in that place, don't look. And it's not about playing games with the first look, second look thing. Don't play stupid Christianese games with first look, second look. The issue is if the Spirit of God is speaking to you or warning you not to look, don't. God will warn you in advance if something's coming visually that would open up your eye gates to something that would defile your spirit. So, the battle begins with our eyes. And I'm telling you, you've got to start policing your eyes and invite God in on that. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm telling you, it's freedom to do this. And it's not just for the married guys. It's for you, you single guys too, because... You single guys, your intimacy with God is going to be affected by the level that you can walk in sexual purity. God will help you, but you need to cooperate. The battle continues in our mind. Okay? That's the second part of the practical. The battle continues in our mind. Once sexual images enter our eye gates, they go to our mind and immediately the movies begin to play. How many have had a movie play? Just be real, man. Okay, a few guys. Okay, every guy. Thank you. Listen, everybody's had a movie play. That's what happens in the mind. What the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to plant seeds of lust into our minds. And many times it'll come as the, in the form of a fiery dart. We'll talk about the scriptures here. 
Okay, we'll talk about fiery darts. Literally, the enemy can send lustful thoughts to our mind, and then we've got a decision to make. Go to 2 Corinthians. Here's the danger of letting the movies play, okay? Because this is a progression. Starts with our eye gates, gets into our mind. The movie starts playing in our mind, and I'm going to tell you what's happening when that movie's playing. In the spirit, when that movie's playing, what the enemy's trying to do is plant that seed in our mind, water it, get us to think about it throughout the day, and maybe replay the movie a few times, and then let it grow roots down into our spirit and our heart, which is his ultimate goal. Because once it's down into our spirit and our heart, and we've turned our heart towards that movie and towards that sin instead of the Lord, there's a stronghold established, and it becomes much more difficult to break it. The enemy's looking for a foothold into our hearts that he can bring destruction into our marriages, to our intimacy with God. He's after our intimacy with God. He wants to destroy it. That's why there's sexual crap plastered everywhere in our culture. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. I'm going to read it to you out of the, the New King James Version as well. This is what it says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now listen to me. You might think, well, is he literally meaning taking thoughts captive to the obedience to Christ? Absolutely he is. Absolutely he is. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We, we know from Ephesians 6.17, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is our weapon to fight against the tactics and, and techniques of the devil to bring us into sexual sin. So when you have a fiery dart or something comes in your eye gates, immediately your response can be, I take that thought captive to Jesus Christ. I don't care if you have to say it 20 times. Say it until it's gone. Until your faith is built up. Because I'm telling you, when I say that, those thoughts go away. If all of a sudden, accidentally, there's some woman that comes into my field of view and I didn't get an early warning and it comes in, immediately I'm saying, I take that thought captive to Jesus. I take it, I don't, it doesn't need to be a thought. I, I want to get it before it's even born into my mind. And I'm telling you, as you walk in this reality, as stuff comes in your mind and you resist, James chapter 4 says this, resist the devil and he'll flee. If you resist, this is resisting. It's saying, I'm not going to receive that. I'm going to give you another word picture. Anybody seen the movie The Matrix? At the end of the movie, there's this incredible scene where Neo is standing there in the matrix and the agents who are kind of the antagonists in the movie are standing there with these guns and they're just pumping off rounds. They're like automatic, automatic pistols and they're just pumping rounds at him. And all of a sudden there's like 20 bullets and it goes into slow motion and the bullets, you can either even see him passing through the air and Neo just goes like this, puts his hand up and the bullets come to within a couple inches and then they fall to the ground. That's a picture of what, can, what happens in the Spirit when you feel something coming in the Spirit that's sexual material into your mind and you say, I take that thought captive. Literally, you can say, no, I don't receive that in Jesus' name. You don't have to just get the right lingo. I mean, the Scripture is powerful, so when you use Scripture, 
It's got power. But literally, you can also say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I use that all the time too. Get a couple scriptures. Those two have been really good for me. Where I say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I'm not receiving that. All of a sudden, I'll be in an interchange, in a social interchange, and all of a sudden, I'll feel like a spirit of adultery is trying to grab somebody else's, some woman's spirit and my spirit and bring it together. I say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And I'm telling you, God will test your heart in this. Do you really want to be free or don't you? Because when the temptation comes, it's going to come hard. I've literally been on my face crying out to Jesus saying, take this away. When you hate sin that much and you have that deep a revelation of the consequences to your marriage and your life, there's nothing the devil can do to you. There is nothing he can do to you. You can have victory over sexual temptation. I'm not saying there are not going to be times where you've got to get on your face and cry out to Jesus. You will. Just do it. This is one of the single most practical and powerful spiritual principles God's shown me and that I've been able to walk in and other men have been able to walk in that keeps our minds pure from sexual material. The last one is this. The battle starts in our eyes. It continues in our mind. You've got weapons that you can fight against it and you're just going to have to ask God to teach you how to do this. This is not a one, two, three, you're sexually free seminar. This is, this is cry out to God and ask Him to teach you what He's taught me. And it might look a little bit different. There might be different scriptures He gives you to fight. That's fine. But you need to cry out to Him and ask Him to do this in you. If you don't want to do it, He won't do it. Third, the battle is won or lost in our hearts. In our hearts. The whole goal of Satan is to blast you with enough fiery darts and unclean thoughts until you relent and receive one into your mind, water it and allow it to grow roots into your heart where a stronghold can be established. And once there's a stronghold, you know what he does with those strongholds? He begins to take apart your life from that area. And I've talked to men whose lives have been completely disassembled by sexual sin. There are pastors and ministry leaders who have fallen from ministry because of sexual sin. I'm telling you, this is no joke. The devil will destroy you through sexual sin. And there's not one man that's immune from it. Go to Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Satan's after your heart because it's either the condition of your heart and the posture of your heart, either towards sin or towards the Lord, is going to determine whether you spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And it's not just that. It's going to determine where a lot of people around you spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And if you don't think your choices have that kind of consequences, that's a whole different teaching, but it's, it's all there in the Word. I just want to say this, and again, you know, I'm not... This, is, I, this really, brothers, is not about condemnation because I'm telling you something. I've gotten convicted in all these areas. I've had to confess things to my wife. I've had to repent before all kinds of people for, for struggling through sexual issues or things that I've done in the past. So as I'm giving this word, believe me, I'm painfully aware of the grace of God that's on me even to deliver the message, okay? So I'm not coming at you as someone who's got it all figured out. I'm just saying I feel like God's brought me to a certain place of victory and I think He wants to have all of us there, not just me. And there's even greater victory that we can experience. 
But I, I believe some of you are wondering why you've got broken marriages or trouble in your marriages. And I want to tell you something. Look at your sexual sin. Look at your sexual sin. You want to know why your wife is totally contentious and completely at your throat and doesn't want to be around you? Look at your sexual purity. That doesn't mean that's the only reason why marriages go bad. There are all kinds of reasons. I just feel like the Spirit of God wants to call that out. For some of you, it applies. Malachi 2, 15 and 16. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? There you see it again. Covenant marriage. In body and spirit, you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. Listen to this. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Do you see? Sexual purity, faithfulness, loyalty is connected to faithfulness in marriage. Why is this such a big deal to God? Because it's a picture of our faithfulness, loyalty, and intimacy with Him. It's about our relationship with Him. Listen to what He says. For I hate divorce, says the Lord. He does. He hates it. Why? Because it's the opposite of His character. He's faithful. He's loyal. He's holy. He's pure. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Here it is again. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. The goal of the enemy is to establish a stronghold in your heart built upon sexual sin so that you are separated from God, you experience shame and condemnation, which is supposed to drive you further away from God, and allow for the free flow of spiritual darkness and demonic activity into your family and throughout the body of Christ. And to a large degree, he's been very successful with that strategy. But the Lord is exposing it and the Lord is calling men to enter into holiness and purity in this area. The seventh reason why we engage in sexual sin is that we need deliverance from a demonic stronghold. If the enemy establishes a stronghold in our hearts, it may happen after one time or many times. There's no rule. If you open the door to pornography, you can be demonized. As a Christian, you can be demonized. If anybody told you you couldn't be demonized as a Christian, that is not true. That is not true. Many Christians have been delivered from demonic spirits and a lot of them are in the sexual area. We know from the Old Testament archetype that there were, the presence of God was in the temple of the Lord and they were also doing idol worship in the same temple. That's an archetype of the new covenant believer. We can have the Holy Spirit in us and still have strongholds, demonic strongholds of sin. We don't get delivered immediately when we become believers. Why? Because God wants to train us along the way in the process of, of spiritual warfare. That people are demonized. That believers are demonized. That's why you didn't get instantly delivered of all your spiritual strongholds when you gave your life to Jesus. Because He wants you to have understanding. Why does He want you to have understanding before you get deliverance from demonic power? Because if you don't have understanding to go with your deliverance from demonic power, you're going to go back out and do the same sin and open the same doors and be re-demonized. It's going to be even worse than before. Don't believe me? Go to Luke chapter 11. Demonic strongholds don't take away free will. They don't take away your responsibility to not sin. But they do severely inhibit your ability to make godly choices. They join forces with your flesh. The demonic stronghold and your flesh work together against the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when you have a stronghold established, it's much more difficult to break through from sin when there's a demonic stronghold when, when it's just your flesh. 
I know the difference between fighting a demonic stronghold and fighting my flesh. Demonic stronghold is much stronger. The good news is that Jesus came to destroy demonic strongholds and there's a way for us to get free of them. And, and it starts with repentance. When we basically, what God is looking for is that we stop excusing our sin and we come into agreement with what he's saying. Sexual immorality is wrong. It will kill you. It will destroy you. It will destroy your family. When you repent and you agree with God, which is basically what that's saying, the sexual spirits have no more authority over you. Then you can take authority over them and command them to leave and they have to go. But this is the warning, brothers, from Scripture. Luke chapter 11, verse 24. This is what the Word of the Lord says. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept in an order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so the person is worse off than before. Now I'm going to tell you, evil spirits cannot come into you unless you open a door through sin. That's why God is so intent on us walking in holiness and purity. He's actually trying to protect us from demonization. It's one of the reasons in the Old Covenant, when they would enter into gross sin like rebellion and murder, they would stone the person. They literally would kill the person. You read those Old Testament scriptures, it's like, God, why were you so hard? On these people, it's like there was no grace. No, actually, that was the love of the Father because the provision of Christ's blood was not available to them. So if they allowed that person to be demonized, it would infiltrate the whole community. So unless the person was killed, there's no way to eliminate the defilement that was represented in the fellowship of the Israelites. It's the same thing for us, but now... We have the provision of the blood of Christ. We can repent. But I'm telling you, if you don't repent and then begin to walk in it, you'll be worse than before. If you haven't truly decided in your heart that you want to cry out for God, and that's the test, is do you really want to be free? If you really want to be free, He'll set you free. What is God saying to us through all this? I hope the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. But I think what he's saying is that we need to repent. We need to turn away from our sexual sin. We need to stop living like little boys who are orphans and keep going out to dabble in, play around with this stuff. And we need to understand that this is serious business and we need to walk in holiness and purity because there's a world out there that's dying that's waiting for the reality of the gospel. And it's only going to happen through men who are consecrated, who are set apart, who are abandoned for the Lord and His purposes, who are willing to get real with God and real with each other. That's the only way it's going to happen. I'm telling you, you're not going to go represent Jesus with sexual sin in your life. I mean, there'll be grace for a season for all of us, but at a certain point He'll take you down, just like He did Ted Haggard. I don't care how big your ministry is. I don't care how big your church is. I don't care how it's going to look. You know what? God's been taking damage to His name since the beginning of time. Now, I'm not saying He's not grieved when a pastor or a ministry leader falls, but He'd much rather have them fall and have their sin exposed than to have them stay in place and continue to release demonic power into the fellowship and curses and darkness into the fellowship and misrepresent who He is. 
I feel like the Lord is saying to us like He was to the adulterous woman. You know, He didn't say to her, go and do your best not to sin anymore. He didn't say that. He didn't say, go give it the college try. You know, go do your best and sin no more. He said, go sin no more. And then to the lame man that he met later when he healed the man of paralysis, he said, now stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. There's real consequences for this. That's why God's, that's why God's loving us this way. There's real consequences. He's really trying to protect us from those consequences. He's trying to protect our marriages and, and have them look like holy marriages that bring Him glory and, and that release the kingdom of God. I think He wants us to repent. I think He wants us to be tired of Satan tooling us around. Because that's what's happening. I mean, if you're submitted to to sexual sin, I mean, it's literally the enemy is tooling you around. He's using you like a tool. The other thing is he wants us to live in transparency, and that's what this next part of the evening is about. If the Lord's spoken to you, and I'm quite convinced he's spoken to you, if he's spoken to you about sexual sin, there's two things I want to challenge you. Don't leave here. This altar is going to be open. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to open up this altar right here. And if you've got business to do with God, don't walk out of here and pretend like you didn't hear this word. Do not walk out of here and pretend like you didn't hear this word. Because you can run and you can hide, but there is no place to hide from the Spirit of God. Jesus gave His life so that you could walk in sexual purity. And the only way that happens is if you get real with God about this. So if you've got business to do with God, then you don't walk out the door and pretend like you're just fine. You come up and do business with God, and I don't care who you are. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. Do business with God. And it doesn't matter because every single person in this room is totally a qualified sinner. So it's not about shame and condemnation. I didn't call your name out. I didn't call out your sin. But the Spirit of the Lord did. And He did it not so that you can ignore it and harden your heart. I'm telling you, if you harden your heart against this Word, it'll become dangerous for you. Because you'll you'll stop being grieved by the Spirit of God. You'll harden your heart and you will go on a path to destruction. And you may not be able to turn back. So if He's shown you something, then get real about it. Get up here and do the business that you need to do with God. It's not about me and you. It's about you and the Lord. And when you're done doing the business with God, when you've repented and confessed your sins before Him, then I want you to find another brother who's a sinner, because we all are, and I want you to confess your sins and repent before them. And I want to tell you why. Because in James, there's a deeper cleansing that happens. Anybody can confess and repent their sins to the Lord. Why? He's perfect. He's gentle. He's awesome. He doesn't make judgments against us. It's scary when we start doing it in front of another man. Maybe you're not ready to do that, but I want to tell you, brothers, there's a deeper level of cleansing. There's a deeper level of forgiveness that comes when we confess our sins one to another. The book of James says this, confess your sins one to another so you can be healed. If you want to keep it in the dark, you will not be healed. If you keep your sin in the dark, you will not be healed. We're going to pray right now. We're going to ask Him, if He hasn't spoken already, that He would come and just grip your heart with conviction, with godly sorrow. And when He does, just agree with Him.
Just agree with the lover of your soul. If you know that God has spoken to you and you know you've got business to do with Him, don't stay where you are. Be free from shame and condemnation. Come up here, be a real man, man up, and just come up here and confess and repent your sins before the Lord. And then before you leave, get together with one or two other brothers and just share with them what God showed you and ask them to pray for you. You want to be healed, have another brother pray for you. If you're struggling with sexual sin, start praying for other brothers. Start praying for other people with sexual sin. Stop being so self-absorbed. It's all about you. It's not all about you. It's about each other. We're doing this together. But it starts and finishes when we get real. And I just, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit of the living God, Holy God, would you come? Would you show us, God, what you want to show us, Lord? I pray, Lord, that you would set us free tonight from shame and condemnation and all the things that the devil's tried to put on us to keep us from getting real with you and real with other people. I pray that the grace would come down. The grace would come down that this, that, that this is your love for us, God. That you discipline those that you love. You come and mess with us. You come and dig into our hearts and say, I see that. And maybe there's men in here who thought they were doing something that was just fine and you came by your spirit and you brought it up. Father, don't let them rationalize it away. Don't let them rationalize it away, Father. Spirit of the Lord, release ears to hear and eyes to see the truth. Let's stop playing games with you, Father. Please, God, for the sake of your daughters, for the sake of your church, we ask that you would come and make us holy and make us pure by the power of your spirit.